Genesis chapter 41 for the last two years. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter in the book of Genesis. And tonight we're following on Genesis 41. I believe there's about nine more chapters left. And at the rate we're going, we could be done with this soon. And we'll just pick up in Exodus and keep right on going. How's the sound? It's full. Okay, thank you. You can have a seat. Thank you. I was going to have our cameraman in training tonight record a little bit, but we'll, we'll do that next week. Thank you, brother. All right, so we're going to look at uh, Genesis 41, and we're going to begin there with Joseph. You remember, Joseph has just spoken with the, um, the butler who has now been redeemed by Pharaoh. The head of his baker was removed at the gallows. And here, Joseph, uh, he interpreted a dream that the two had. And now we remember in verse 23 of verse chapter 40, that yet the cup bearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. And we spoke about last, uh, last Wednesday that, uh, that people will forget. People might even forget to pray for you. People might forget your birthday. People might forget, but there's a God in heaven who does not forget. Even when Jesus was on the cross, and, and it's, at, it's just like God in the beginning of the Bible, we see where and God remembered and God remembered. And the first time we hear of a man remembering, he forgets. Here we see that he forgot him in verse 23. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I'm so thankful that God does not forget my name, but he remembers me. Even back in the book of Genesis, we remember, I believe it's uh, chapter number 8 in the book of Genesis, that God remembered Noah on the waters. He did not forget Noah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. He didn't forget Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I believe it's Acts chapter 19 that he established a covenant with them. That's the kind of God we serve, Miss Patsy. He does not forget. He remembers. Even when we forget, He remembers. Even when we're faithless, He is not. Amen. I'm preaching better than y'all. Come on now. Let's suck it up. Here we see in verse 41, chapter 41, verse 1, after two whole years. And if we read over that very quick, it wouldn't be that big. Whenever you read about two years in one sentence, it's not that big of a deal. But I'm telling you, when you're in the middle of the two years, two years feels like a long time. Here Joseph was. He has been in prison for about eight years. So you might be thinking, what's two more years? Well, you've been in prison unjustly. You've been in prison uh, and been sold by your own brothers. Ten years is a long time. Eight years is a long time. But two years and you were putting your hope in a butler or a cupbearer and he was supposed to tell the Pharaoh your story. But he's waiting on the Lord. You might be going through something tonight and you've been sitting in it a long time. You might even feel like Joseph. Two years. Two years above and beyond the eight. He's already been sitting there. And his hope was in a person. And that person let him down. Well, if you would, write in your margins, margin, uh, Lamentations chapter number 3, verse 25. And I'm going to quote what it says. If you want to turn there, that's fine. But I'm going to flip back really quick. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. Now, let me read it again because I don't think this is how I heard it. He says, the Lord is good to those who wait on Him. I'm going to let you know in chapter 41 of Genesis, if two years prior, if Joseph were to get out of prison, he would have went home. Let me assure you, he would have went to Canaan land to show his daddy that he's still alive. 
He would have showed up at Joseph's, uh, Jacob's tent and said, Daddy, my brother's lying. I'm alive. I was in prison. I was sold as a slave. But no, God kept him there for two more years. I don't know what God was working out of him in those two years. I don't know how heavy the chains were. I don't know what kind of thoughts went through Joseph's mind. No, let me explain. I, I might have a, an idea because there's been things that I thought I would be out of by now. There's been things that I faced and I would have thought I'd been over by now. But for two more years, Joseph there was facing it over and over. And let me assure you tonight that God is never late. Amen. You might read that verse and say, God was late and let him sit in there two more years. Well, let me assure you, God is never late. God is not slow. God is not going to the merging lane with the blinker on going 10 miles an hour, getting ready to merge on the highway and He gets on your nerves. That's not how God works. God steps outside of time. He is the Ancient of Days is what the Bible calls Him. But He has no wrinkles like we do. His hair does not fall out. He does not heed, he does not heed and need hearing aids. He does not forget. He is not forgetful. He is not slow. He doesn't walk into the next room and forget why He walked into that room even though they call Him the Ancient of Days. Before, before the earth was founded, before the earth was set upon its axis, He was there. He had not aged an ounce or a day since that time. He is God for everlasting. So, so is God slow. No, He's right on time. Amen. Joseph needed to be there two more years. As bad as that sounded. But wait a minute, Joseph was there. He was put there. Uh, it, it was against his will. It's, it's horrible that Joseph was there. And I agree with you. But sometimes even in horrible circumstances, even then when things look ugly and things are dirty, things are bad, God still gets glory. Because if Joseph would have went home, the economy of Egypt would have fell in seven years because of the famine. And in seven years... His family would have starved and so would have all the people of Egypt. The greatest empire on the face of the earth would have collapsed. But you know what? God is on time. Amen. So whatever you're facing tonight, you're sitting there, I, I can't believe i got to face this again. I've already been through this. I, I don't understand. If you've already been through it, then you know He's faithful. Joseph had been in prison and had not lost the faith for eight years, so two more years ain't nothing to him. Two more years, that's fine, Lord. He didn't know that that night he would lay his head down on a straw pillow in the prison of the Egypt people who were holding him captive. He didn't know that the next morning he would be waking up, walking in the presence of the Pharaoh because of the power of God. He didn't know that. And tonight you might lay your head down in anxiety and worry, and tomorrow you wake up in victory. Because God is on time. And if, even if He tarries and you wake up tomorrow and you still carry those burdens and those worries, He's still God and He still reigns. He's on time every time. This is our God. Amen. So for two years, don't just read over it. Feel it, believe it, live it. For two years here, He is in prison. Two more years. His brother sold Him and said, Judah... Simeon, Zebulun, Reuben, all, all, all his brothers of his own clan, his people, sold him. Then a trifling woman lied on him, sent him to prison. I'm sure he screened his innocence to Potiphar. Even though Potiphar didn't have him killed, he might have believed him because he should have killed him if he didn't believe him, but he might have questioned his wife in the last chapter. 
So here he is. I don't know which is worse. Going to execution or being in prison? Probably the prison. But in the worst scenario, the worst thing you could imagine, God will get glory in it, whatever it is, whatever your worst fear is. Failing, losing out, losing everything you have, God can get glory in that. And let me tell you this, because I've been there, I've been so low, and I felt I have met face to face with my worst fears, and I've kissed them on the lips, and I've been slave to them, I've had my name drugged to the mud, and when you fail like that, you can say, well, I fail now. So there's nothing else to be afraid of. Whatever it is you're running from, you're worried, put it in God's hand. And even if you fail, you still win because it's all for His glory. Amen. I told my children at an early age, even then when they're babies and they're learning to walk and they can talk. And now I can't tell them to be quiet and sit down. But they're, they're, they're talking. And I told them early. They would say, Daddy, I can run fast. And I say, do you know why you run fast? No, Daddy, why? For God's glory. For the bring God glory, that you run fast for God's glory. Daddy, I like to draw. Draw for God's glory. Whatever you do, do it for God's glory. If you're in a cubicle pushing papers, do it to His glory. Do it for His name. Do it for His name's sake. Let people know that He is your God and He reigns for God's glory. I preach for God's glory. There's a, there's a character in the Chariots of Fire movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. He says, he's speaking to someone else. He says, when I run, I feel like that's why I'm put here. When I run, I feel the fire in my veins. That's why I'm here. That's why I preach. That's why I'm here. That's why I stand over hospital beds and pray with people. That's why I'm here. That's why I pray over you and I serve this church and this body. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here to serve Him and bring glory to His name. Because isn't He worthy? Amen. Amen. Even if it is two more years in prison. Even if... Even if I have to face this for two more years, Lord. Here's Joseph in prison. He probably thinks that he'll die an old man in prison. His whole life is there. But God had a plan. Even if he does die in prison, God will receive glory. So the story unfolds now. Two years, here he is, is in prison. In chapter 40, verse 1. And now, there's a pagan king. His name is Pharaoh. And let me tell you that God will even use a pagan king to bring glory to His name. God will always have a witness. And He'll use this pagan king just in this chapter to show that He is God. When the Christians won't cry out and say He's great, He'll raise up a pagan to say there is a God in heaven who reigns. He'll take a crooked stick and draw a straight line with it. He'll use the wicked so people will know there is a God. And we're just being set up here in the book of Exodus what will go down. And His name will be exalted all throughout of Egypt. And people will know there's a God greater than the Nile God, than the alligator and the frog and the king of the flies. They'll know there is a God greater than all those because He's the Lord of lords and King of kings. There is no other God like Him. And He will be exalted. He will have someone standing before Him saying, He is great and greatly to be praised. He is a God of promises and He redeems. He is faithful. He is King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So here, He uses... Pharaoh. He's got one in the dungeon and one on the throne. And he uses them both. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing at the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed on the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly, thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. 
The ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep, and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing in one stalk. And behold, out of them sprouted seven ears. And blighted by the east wind, the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. Notice who troubled him. It was God. And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream. And there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So God even shut the mouth of the magicians and all those who did the, the, the dark arts. He shut their mouths. They couldn't even speculate. They didn't even make it up. But imagine you work for Pharaoh and you want to impress Pharaoh. So of course you would make it up. And just, you might have seven years and Pharaoh figured out you lied. You get seven years. But they didn't even lie to Pharaoh because of the fear of the Lord quickened their heart. Because these were pagans. They could have lied. But their conscience will not allow them because God is sovereign. He even shut down the pagan from lying to other pagans because that's the kind of God we serve. Wow, that's incredible. That He is God over every nation and every tongue. Not just America and Canada and Mexico. That He is God over Russia, Italy. He is God over Australia, Antarctica, and any secret islands out there in the ocean. He is God. He reigns. He is King. Amen. And that's who you serve. So here, even the pagans and even, even the, the magicians, the black arts, they shudder in the presence of our Most High God. And in verse 9, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. I don't know if he's remembering his own sins against Pharaoh from two years earlier where he, he was there, there was a time where maybe Pharaoh's getting agitated with his magicians and he's about to throw them into prison. Or I don't know if he's remembering how bad he feels about what he did to Joseph and not remembering him. I don't know. But he says, I feel my offenses today, the wrongs that I've done. There's a quickening to his conscience. He says to the Pharaoh, I don't know if he's doing this to get into Pharaoh's good favors either. And I mean, that's obvious. He, he might be saying, oh, by the way, I know something. I can help you, Pharaoh, even though all your masters of the arts can't. I, I know somebody. In verse 10, And when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed that same night, he and I each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us. A servant of the captain of the guard. Notice it says he was a servant of the captain of the guard. I don't want you to forget that he worked with Potiphar. That him and Potiphar still had a working relationship. Because Potiphar saw in this Hebrew young man integrity and character. He believed him over his own wife because she didn't have those attributes. So here he says he was the servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, having an interpretation to each one according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, it came about. And I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. In verse 14, you notice we began in chapter 41, after two more years, with a total of ten years, this prisoner, probably a beard out to here, covered in filth in prison, Probably a little hungry because in prison, I'm sure in uh, the harshest of prison in Russia now, if, you, if your family doesn't come, you starve in prison. I'm sure it's like that in Egypt. I don't know who fed him. Maybe Potiphar's house came and fed him to keep him alive. 
But here, verse 14, the night before, he goes to bed, prison. And in verse 14, he wakes up and he's brought into the presence of the king of Egypt. That's only an act of God, friends. In verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and quickly brought him out of the pit. And he had shaved himself and changed his clothes. And he came in before the Pharaoh. We're going to focus on verse 14 tonight. I know there's much more. But I want to talk about 14. And we got about 10 minutes, so let's have fun. Here, Pharaoh calls out Joseph. And if you're like me, when you read this, you go, Yes! Vindication! Finally! Here's Joseph, this young man who was snatched out from his family. Finally, he's going to get his just desserts. Finally, payday's coming. He's getting everything. He's getting it. This is good. All right, here we go. And we rejoice there. Finally, this young man's going to be before Pharaoh. Finally, good. He was put there unjustly and unfairly. He was betrayed by his own family. Joseph, he was lied on. And accused of something he did not do. He was blameless. And Pharaoh called for him. The highest king on the earth. In fact, people considered him deity. This guy believed he was a god. So can you imagine his ego? Can you imagine the gold and the, and the ornaments around this man? How people, his own servants, shuddered when he spoke. And here he calls a lowly Hebrew... From the pit. The words here says pit. That he wasn't even in a prison. He was under the prison. The dungeon. The lowest of lowest place. And it says he shaved himself. Because he's not going before this king unpresented. It was a dishonor and abomination before all of Egypt. And every member of the household of Egypt. If you had facial hair or showed any hair. So he shaved himself. Preparing himself to be in the presence of this great king. I'm sure he took a shower because, I don't know, prison smell might be stanky. Let's be honest. I'm sure he washed up, put on some deodorant, got clean. Sharon knows she deals in the judicial system. She knows they come in there funky. But they, they, I'm sure that he washed before he goes into the presence of this mighty king. Yes, Joseph deserves this. Don't y'all think? Let's be honest. Good. Finally, this guy is going gonna, gonna to get a break. He spent 10 years in prison and his own family did him wrong. Let's be honest. you got to read this and you're happy. you got to smile. This is good. Everybody loves a good underdog story. Everybody. They love Rocky and all that good stuff. They love it every time when the little guy finally gets his day. Finally. You know what we don't like though? We don't like it when the villain gets a break. Let's talk about that. When a wicked, horrible person, say for an example, a CEO of a company who runs off with all the money and the lowly little worker, he goes without. He loses his home and he loses his means of providing for his family while the CEO goes off to Costa Rica somewhere sipping martinis on a private airplane. That makes us, our blood boil, doesn't it? That somebody got off. Everything in us say, yes, justice. Be fair, good. But will you imagine for a moment an offender, someone wicked to the core, someone hateful, spiteful, and evil. 
a rebel, a rebel and a deflector at birth. They were born that way. There was no changing or training them. They were just naturally that way. Wicked in a pit in prison where they deserve to be. They deserve to be there. They're chained. And it's alright with us if they stay there for an eternity, to be honest. Because they earned every minute there. They were born into a family of thieves and meth heads and prostitutes and pimps, hustlers, politicians. That's the worst offense. The worst of the worst. And they're there. And we can say, that's good. But then, a king calls for them to come out of the pit. And when he comes, that offender, that sinner, can't even clean himself up. Maybe his hands are chained. He don't even own a razor to scrape the hair off him. He can't wash himself. He has no means by washing himself. But he's getting ready to come into the presence of the king. How offended would the king be if he showed up in his prison garb, smelling and reeking of the very cell that he came out of. So that king washes him himself. The king cleans that prisoner himself, wraps him in royal clothes. This offender, one who deserved to stay in that prison, and pulls him into the throne room and then sets him free. I don't know what y'all are thinking, but I just described each and every one of us. Joseph didn't deserve prison, but I deserve hell. I deserve not just hell. I deserve the hottest spots in hell. I deserve to be thrown in that place in eternal torment and forgot about. But grace wouldn't let it happen. Miss Susie, he wouldn't let it happen. He, he called me from the pit. And not only when he called me, he cleaned me himself. Miss Patsy, I didn't have the means to clean me. I didn't even have a basin of good works to make myself presentable to Him. Miss Carolyn, I couldn't wash away the sins. It took His work to do it. I, I couldn't even put on a garment because I didn't have one. All the garments that I have were maggot-covered, stained, and ruined, and He provided a robe of righteousness. He did it. And now I'm in His presence. Everything in you should say, no, that ain't right. That villain's getting away with it. I don't understand. This is not justice. This is not fair. But let me assure you, the one standing there washed and clean with a robe of righteousness, wearing it, standing in front of deity, he's saying the same thing. And he says, you are right. You are so right, Troy. I don't deserve to be here. It's only grace. It's only mercy. He redeemed me from the pit. Washed me. Cleaned me. Set me in right standing with Him. Said all my offenses against Him were revoked, Josh. They're revoked. No more. They're gone. Thank you, Jesus. So I don't have time to sit in my pew and look over at anybody else and say, well, look at what they're wearing today. 
Look at Sharon, look at that. I don't have time to hear what everybody over here is doing or who's missing church or who's not tired. I don't have time for that because I'm so busy looking at me saying, I can't even believe I'm here. I, I don't even believe that He redeemed me. Uh, you don't understand. You don't know what kind of pit He pulled me out of. Or he, the door swung open and the prison, I was set free. You don't understand. There was leg irons on my legs, Miss Patsy. I couldn't dance in His presence. My hands were so tired, I couldn't lift up holy hands. I stuck to high heaven. How else would I come into His presence and not be an offense to Him unless He watched me? Oh, it ain't right. It ain't fair. But let me assure you, mercy and grace ain't right and fair. It's His providence and it's His grace. And He lavished it on me. He gave it to me. So I'm not going to spend it or even expect it because He lavished it upon me. Oh, grace. Oh, grace. Oh, amazing grace. So the story is always, yes, Little Joseph comes out of the prison, out of the pit. Here's his break. But for the villains like me and you, it's grace. It's mercy. He didn't deserve that prison, but I deserve far worse than what I'm getting. Oh, let me assure you. People say, how are you doing? I said, a lot better than I deserve. Grace. Grace. So with that being said, as we look at the story of Joseph, I never want you to come to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, walking in saying, well, Lord, what you going to give me tonight? I've been good all week. I ain't cussed at all. I didn't get mad even when the dog pooped on the carpet. I've been good all day. Today you get grace. He shows you mercy. And you sure enough didn't earn it. Jesus didn't deserve the cross. He didn't deserve to be scourged. He didn't deserve to be mocked. He didn't deserve to die a sinner's death. And I don't deserve grace. Not just grace. <laughs> Amazing grace. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Dear Jesus, thank you. I just can't get past it, Jesus. I, 